You're listening to Pat O'Keefe on 98.7 ESPN. Listening to Pat O'Keefe. The second half of the schedule for the Mets isn't overly taxing. It gets tough late, mid to late September, but at least if the Mets can take advantage of the teams that they should beat, then those last two or three weeks of the season could actually have some meaning. And contention for the Mets means they're going to be looking to add. They have about a week or two weeks to show that they can be a team worth cashing in more of your chips for. And that's why these next couple of weeks are important. So you got to really look at these first four series. That's July 27th, 28th, 29th, and 30th. And then we're there. We're at the trade deadline. So you got five series between now and the trade deadline for the Mets. And it starts tomorrow. And they, they, again, no margin for error. You're listening to Pat O'Keefe on 98.7 ESPN. No margin for error on this show either. I'd say it's been an error-free first two hours. Got another one to play with. All right, a lot of baseball. It always happens this time of year, especially when there's not a lot of great stuff to talk about. Everybody loves to complain, and everybody loves a superstar. We had a lot of that. A lot of complaints about the Yankees, especially uh, the Mets to a less degree, and then everyone loves a superstar. And uh, Shohei Otani uh, could be available in the next couple of weeks, and uh, that's going to be a very, very consistent topic of conversation leading up to the trade deadline. Uh, consistent topic of conversation right now as we transition to football is the status of Saquon Barkley. The deadline continues to be Monday afternoon at 4 p.m. for the Giants and Barkley to agree to a long-term extension. If he doesn't sign his, uh, or the, the only other option, excuse me, would be if he signs his franchise tag for $10.4 million. And yesterday it was tweeted out by Diana Rossini and then reported in other areas that Barkley, if he does not get the guaranteed money that he is searching, could be prepared to sit out game one of the upcoming season against the Dallas Cowboys. And that's that's a very dangerous that's a very dangerous scenario for both sides. And I spoke about this a lot yesterday with Bart Scott. I, I can't help but think in these scenarios of Le'Veon Bell. You know, there's a cautionary tale of very recent vintage. And I understand that the most unfortunate thing for Saquon Barkley is the position that he plays and the fact that it has been so severely devalued in the NFL compared to when he was a little kid and a stud athlete and, you know, grew up watching, I don't know, who were the big running backs when he was growing up? Like, you know, Priest Holmes or Larry Johnson or... Adrian Peterson, there you go. Those are the guys that he was watching growing up and wanted to be just like those guys because those were the guys that were on the cover of Madden and they were the studs, and he was a stud, and he is a stud. He is. He's the most important player last year, I should say. Last year, there's no question about it. He was the most important player on the Giants. You know, the two most important developments in the Giants season last year were, number one, Brian Dable taking over as the head coach and just bringing competence and confidence and just a completely different approach to that position from what they had had the previous five or six years. That was number one. Number two was Saquon Barkley being healthy. Saquon Barkley being healthy allowed Dable to do so much more offensively. And Mike Kafka, obviously, who was calling the plays. It just opened up so many more options. If, if, if Barkley wasn't healthy last year, like the previous two seasons, Daniel Jones doesn't sniff the season that he had last year. Now, would that be the case this year? Not necessarily. 
I think Jones got a lot better himself last year. I think the weapons around Jones are, if healthy, much better than they were last year. So there's still an avenue for Daniel Jones to be an above-average quarterback, even if Saquon Barkley is not there this year. But Barkley makes everything on this offense better. And I, I hear a lot of talk about now with Darren Waller and another receiving draft pick and Hyatt added to the mix, Wondell Robinson back from injury, Isaiah Hodgins, you really found something in him. There's a lot of talk that the Giants offense is going to go in a different direction. I don't think it should. I mean, yeah, could you utilize the passing game? I didn't even mention Darius Slayton. I didn't even mention the potential of Sterling Shepard coming back. Could you utilize the passing game more than you did last year? Yeah, you were run heavy. You were run dependent last year because you had to be, because you had a $72 million wide receiver who couldn't catch the freaking ball. You had Kenny Galladay. You had Sterling Shepard who tore up his knee early in the season. You had Wondell Robinson, speedy, second-round draft pick who was starting to come into his own, and then he was lost for the season. So then you were literally picking guys up off the scrap heap. One of them happened to stick as a very nice-looking NFL wide receiver in Isaiah Hodgins. But the Giants, their number one offensive weapon last year was Saquon Barkley running the football. Their number two offensive weapon last year was Daniel Jones running the football. And the biggest reason why Jones was able to be so effective running the football, now Jones is a really good runner, and he's a tough guy, and he's a big guy, and he's tough to bring down, and he's very elusive for his size. But the main reason he was able to be so effective running the football is because Barkley was so effective running the football, and there was the threat of that out there. And it's dangerous for the Giants to take that away. In my opinion, and this is unfortunate because I have a lot of respect for Barkley. I think he's been everything you could want in a homegrown franchise, face of the franchise kind of guy, which is really what he's been since Gettleman picked him number two in the draft five years ago. He's everything you could want. But unfortunately, this is a business, and the business model now in the NFL has changed even from when he entered the league. Although people warned Gettleman when Barkley was entering the league that it had already changed. Gettleman refused to listen. He said Barkley was touched by the hand of God. He's going to Canton in the gold jacket, and he picked him second. And was he wrong to pick him second from a business standpoint? Yeah, I still say he was. But from a production standpoint, no. When Barkley's been healthy, he's been a superior player in this league. But it's more dangerous for him because... The likelihood of the Giants moving on without Saquon Barkley and being okay is the chances of that are much greater than Saquon Barkley continuing to dig in his heels, not showing up to play this season, and being okay. I mean, Le'Veon Bell's career was over after he missed that season with Pittsburgh. He was the best and most dynamic running back in the NFL. And I'm not saying all running backs are created equal. And I'm not saying just because it happened to Le'Veon Bell, it's bound to happen to Saquon Barkley. But we've seen this happen recently. He was the most dynamic and in many cases the best running back in football. He missed an entire season and he was never the same again. Just ask Jets fans. So it's a dangerous situation for Saquon Barkley. You hope for both sides. And I still think that there's a path for them to figure this out by Monday. Uh, let's get some reaction on the Saquon Barkley uh, situation. Jordan Renan, the Giants 
beat reporter for ESPN. He was a guest here this morning on DPH and Rothenberg uh, talking about the Giants standoff with Saquon Barkley. It's a very simple thing when it comes to the two franchise tags you guys mentioned. This year, $10 million. Next year, 120% of that. It would be $12 million, $12.1, $22.2 million. Speaking to people throughout this process, it seems pretty obvious to me that the guaranteed money is less than the $22 million. $22 million that basically get less than that guarantees him two seasons, right? What is that guarantee for those two seasons? So that's what it's all about. It's not... Fourteen and sixteen million dollars are silly numbers that have very little to do with this. What this has to do with, from Barkley's standpoint, this is really his last chance to get a big contract. This is his only chance, and the only reason he's getting this chance. There's a lot of running backs who who are never going to get this chance. The top of the top of the top. You know, Ezekiel Elliott was there for a couple of years. He got this contract, and they couldn't wait to get rid of him after last season. Uh, Derrick Henry, um, Barkley is that good. He is deserving. And the only reason we're even talking about him possibly getting this type of contract is because of how good he is. But ultimately, what is the Giants' motivation to sign Saquon Barkley long-term? Here's Jordan Renan. The Giants also have a franchise tag to potentially use again on him next year, mm-hmm. which would be 120% of that $12.1 million. So the total there over the two years is $22.2 million. Are you willing, would you be willing, if you're running an NFL team, would you be willing to say, fine, we'll guarantee you the $22.2 million. That'll be basically the guarantee in the deal. We'll fill in all the stuff around it. You can make a few extra million dollars each year here and there. But are you willing to at least guarantee two years $22 million? Because so far, it appears the Giants have haven't even been willing to guarantee that. Giants, it sounds like a New York Post article a couple hours ago, Paul Schwartz, Giants $19.5 million guaranteed offer, not enough for Saquon Barkley. That's essentially what it comes down to. Look, the franchise tag for this year is 10.4. Next year to be about 12.4. So we're talking $22, $23 million for these two years if he were to sign franchise tags back-to-back. If he signs the franchise tag this year, that means if he gets hurt, he gets potentially nothing next season. All he wants, all he wants is the security for at least one more year. Because on average, you know, 10, 11, 12 million dollars a year, you're not going to do better than that at this position ever again at any point. All right. So what he wants is at least lock that up for two years and then figure it out from there. That is the, you know, and and that's not the big payday that the defensive linemen get. That is not the big payday that the wide receivers get, that the cornerbacks get. Obviously, it's not the big payday that the quarterbacks get, but that's really the best there is to do now for a running back, unfortunately. So if Barkley plays this season 10.4, plays next season 12.4, that's $22, $23 million. But there's still risk there for him if he gets hurt this season. If he gets hurt this season, why would the Giants ever franchise tag him next year and pay him $12.4 million if he's damaged goods? What he wants to do is at least lock up the security for next year. And I think that's where the compromise has to come in. If those two figures equal about $23 million, and that's around what Saquon Barkley wants, and the Giants are offering him $19.5 million, that tells me they're not that far apart. They're about three 
to $3.5 million apart. Can they not just split that difference? And instead of offering him 19.5, offer him like $21.25 million. That gets him awfully close to the $23 million that he is supposedly seeking. And then everyone can move on and have themselves a season. It doesn't seem like they are that far away. And obviously both sides want as much of it to go in their direction as possible. Barkley wants to hold out as long as he can to get as much money as possible because, again, this is his one and only shot at a huge payday. Even if Barkley has, if he signs the contract, all right, if, if they give him $21 million guaranteed, he signs it, he has two outstanding seasons. First of all, they can't franchise him anymore after doing it twice. But secondly, they're not giving him, because now he'll be 28, 29 years old. They're not giving him another long-term contract. Then it's like a year-by-year proposition. Then he's in Dalvin Cook territory. You know, Cook's out there right now. He's looking for $10 million a year. He'll probably play for eight. That's what Barkley's going to be in two years. But before he gets to that point of his career, he wants as much money in his bank account as he possibly can. I don't blame him for that. But I also don't blame the Giants for not wanting to lock up a lot of money at a position that you can get for cheaper in today's NFL. And that's the situation. Let's go to the phones. Let's go to Tommy in Connecticut who wants to chime in on this. Tommy, how you doing? Hi, Pat. It's always good to follow up Jose in Brooklyn because he's so formal. You know, He's very Mr. polite. He's probably our most polite Mr. caller. Mr. O'Keefe, Mr. Grasso, Mr. <laughs> Hardesty. So, I don't know. I'm going to have to call you you know, that's called Sir O'Keefe. You know, pa- Pat's good. Tom. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, totally agree. Uh, all-star game uniforms, disgusting. I don't know what was with those jet black pants that they was wearing. Uh, home run derby format, awful. Uh, you could you couldn't even see the ball land before the next pitch was being yes, thrown. Yes, that was so annoying. It was terrible. And then, uh, just. Not so much specific to the Saquon thing, but I think – so I'm 35. How far apart in, in years are we? What are you, 35? I'm I'm 44. Okay, so we're 10 years apart. When you Nine. were growing up – Nine. Uh, all right, yeah. Well, yeah well, Come on, Tommy. I was brown. <laughs> but which position, which position did the most athletic kid play? And what, what are we talking about, football? Yeah. Running back. Running back. Absolutely. So I'm wondering with the advent of, you know, all these youth throwing camps and the, you know, you know, run and gun and, and the lack, you know, no more three yards in a cloud of dust. I wonder when, if it's going to take like 20 years for there to be a scarcity of running backs and all of a sudden they will be worth money, you know, 20, 25 years from now, because it, like they're so dispensable at this point. It's it's a oh, it's such a shame. I think that's entirely possible. And I spoke about this yesterday with Barb because I said if you're a kid now and you're the best athlete on the team, eight or nine years old, why would you ever want to play running back? You know, you go to oh, no. oh, yeah, no. you be go a, to wide a, receiver right away. You go to the wide receiver end, line. Be a edge rusher. Be a well. They still want the ball safety. at that age. At that age, they all still want the ball. So you go. You go to the wide receiver line. Yeah, but you gotta have somebody throw it to you. That's true, but there's know? only one. But there's only one of those. There's only one of those. You know, wide receivers. It, you got it, like four it's guys. Just, it's crazy to me. You know, like looking back on when we were growing up, it was like, oh yeah, toss sweep to the fastest kid on the team, and uh, you're we still do that. Anybody. I I coached three, four, 
third, fourth grade tackle football last year. And, and our best athletes are still the running backs because we don't have quarterbacks with the arm strength to get the ball out there. But yeah. that's you know, but none of my kids are going pro, so they're, they're not really thinking long term. Um, well, thanks for picking me up, Pat. It was always good to talk to you. Thanks for the call, Tommy. No, th- I think that's entirely possible. And yeah, things things in life are cyclical. And you know where you're seeing that right now? With centers. Right? 15 years ago, people thought that the center position in the uh, sorry, centers in basketball. Let me be clear. People thought 15 years ago the center position in the NBA was dead. 2008, you know, sh- 2009, 2010, Shaq was on his way out. Um David Robinson Patrick Ewing, that era of centers was gone. Um, Tim Duncan insisted that he was a power forward, and usually he was because he played with a center with him, whether it was David Robinson early in his career or somebody else. You had Dwight Howard with Orlando in his prime, and you had nobody else. Like I remember NBA All-Star games. We talk about bad NBA All-Star game ratings. I remember NBA All-Star games where Brad Miller of the Chicago Bulls was the second center. And this is back before they blended all the positions together. Brad Miller was the second center for the Eastern Conference as an all-star. And people thought that the center position was dead because the game was now played from the outside in and it was a guard-dominant league and it was a wing-dominant league. And yeah, those positions are still extremely important. Look at all the great guards in the NBA. Look at all the great wings in the NBA, whether it's Jalen Brown or Jason Tatum or guys like that. But look at the centers. Who won the last three MVPs? It was Joel Embiid this year, and it was Nikola Jokic the previous two years. And the two years before that, it was Giannis Antetokounmpo, who's not a center, but he's a big man. So that has come back because all the centers went away, and Dwight Howard was the best, and he didn't even have a strong offensive game. He was a rim protector and an outstanding rebounder. And he was the best that we had. So all the centers went away. And then all of a sudden, well, if there, it's supply and demand. There's an opportunity here to be a superstar at this position. And then the centers started to come back. And think of all the centers now. I mean, look at, look at the Knicks. Tom Thibodeau, every game plays two centers. I mean, there were games, teams did away with the centers. The small ball lineups. Think about the Golden State Warriors. And that actually worked because they had, you know, Stephen Curry and Klay Thompson and Draymond Green. But when they were winning championships before Kevin Durant got there, or even with Kevin Durant, they would play without a center. That doesn't happen anymore. The best player in the world right now at this moment, the best basketball player in the world is the center for the Denver Nuggets. So the same thing can absolutely happen with running backs. But I expect nobody's going to want to be the high school running back. If if, if you're really a top-level athlete and you're thinking about the NFL – why would you ever want to be a running back right now? Saquon Barkley is as good a running back as there is, and the guy can't get paid. Why would you ever want to play that position? But yeah, in 15 years when nobody wants to play it and all of a sudden we can't find running backs, well, guess what? The next group of running backs, they're going to get paid. It's all about supply and demand. All right, a lot of people want to jump in on this Saquon story. We'll take a break. We'll get to your calls. 1-800-919-3776. Here with you till the top of the hour, Pat O'Keefe on 98.7 ESPN New York. What are you, 35? I'm, I'm 44. Okay, so we're 10 years apart. When you nine, were growing up. Nine. You're listening to Pat O'Keefe on 98.7 ESPN. 
All right, let's get some of your Saquon calls in here. Let's go to Sam in San Antonio. Sam, how you doing? Hello, good evening, Pat. Thank you for taking the call, man. I hope all is right with you and your family, brother. Uh, just real quick, I don't. I, uh, I'm going to talk about Saquon, but uh, as a very, very, very frustrated Mets fan at this point, especially with Max, I, I, I'm just going out on a limb. I'm not serious with this, but this is just how frustrated I am with him. I would just DFA him at this point. I'm done with him. Uh, but that being said, with Saquon. Um, one way or another, I agree with you. The, Gi- the Giants have to figure it out. I think the combination of uh, Dayball, Jones, and Saquon, I think they can be lethal. Uh, football as a team uh, is a sport of chemistry, and they've been together, what, four years at this point? That's hard to replace, even with someone as good as Dalvin Cook. I, uh, they have to make it work. This combination just makes the receiving core that much better. Um, that's my two cents. I, they have to figure it out. I think you brought it. You broke it down perfectly. They're off by what three, four million. Meet in the middle somehow. Now my question to you is: I'm not a capologist by any means. I could never figure it out. But is there any way that they could do something like give him whatever contract that they could figure out, and do something like on the side and give him something on the side, or does it all have to be no, that's, within that's the not salary allowed. cap? Yeah, that's not allowed. Okay, I, mean, I was just wondering that. Yeah, Thank that you so much for your time, stuff. brother. Thanks for the call, Sam. Appreciate it. Yeah, look, the fact that they're, according to the reports that you hear and read, you know, three to three and a half million dollars apart, that that does give me hope that there could be some kind of compromise before the deadline. And then they can all just move on and, and move on their way. Because Barkley, with, with Saquon Barkley, it's not just black and white as far as, you know, production. All right? It's more than that. He... He represents to the Giants organization more than just what he does on the field. He's been the face of the franchise since they drafted him five years ago, second overall. He's been in 2018. He's been a model citizen. Um, He suffered a lot of injuries, including one that knocked him out for virtually an entire season. It took him two and a half years to get back to playing close to what he was like earlier in his career. And he had a false start on that in 2021. He was starting to play really well. Remember the New Orleans game? This is Joe Judge's last year. The New Orleans game where he had like a 50-yard catch from Daniel Jones, and he just took over that game. And in overtime, he just bowled over the defense and scored a touchdown, and the Giants won that game. And I think it was their first one of the season. It came in late September. And he was almost back to what he had been before the injury. And then I think the very next game was in Dallas. And he goes out for a pass, and he stepped on the defender's foot, and he badly sprained his ankle, and he was out for four more weeks, and he was never the same the rest of the year. And then the season fell apart. They got rid of Joe Judge. They brought in Brian Dayball. He recovered. He got off to a slow start last year, but by about week two or three, even though he had that big play in the season opener against Tennessee, but as far as consistency goes, by about week two or three, he was back close to being what he had been. And they built the entire offense around him. And the ownership group knows what Saquon Barkley means to this organization. It's more than just what he can do between the white lines. With this guy, it is. And that's not the case with everyone. You know, most guys get paid or don't get paid based on their performance and how it fits. I I do think that the Giants here are taking into consideration what he means for the franchise. Now, you can only do that to a certain extent because the salary cap is so debilitating. But I do think that the Giants are taking into consideration just what he means to this franchise. They have to. 
because he's different than pretty much everybody else in that locker room. He's been through the lows of the low with this franchise, and they and he came out strong last year and led them back to the playoffs, and they respect him for that. Let's go to Mitch in East Windsor. Hey, Mitch. Hey, I'm Pat. How are you? Hey, I'm Pat. Thanks for taking. Yeah, good, good. Thanks for taking the call. Um, I think they got to uh, keep him at least two years, given what he uh, wants. And he's not the regular kind of running back. He was a, he was a expensive uh, second pick in the draft. I like to see him keep him. Uh, I don't think he's so easy to replace, especially on, on the team they have now. And one thing about Tani, um, I want to know if I think they just going to have to trade him. I think that uh, I agree with the Dodgers too, which is like that they don't hold on to their prospects. You see all the prospects that my my Dodgers raised about. They're not even on the team anymore. I think the Angels at this point, Mitch, and thanks to the call, would be foolish to not trade Otani. They're not going to the playoffs again this year. You know, Trout's out for a month. It probably wasn't going to work anyway. I, I don't. I don't know what it was. This whole era of the two of them together and Otani is special and has done some really incredibly special things Trout you're starting to see now that look at him the last two or three years he's not the same guy I'm not saying he's not the same player even though he's not the same player but he's not the same guy a lot of injuries a lot of nagging injuries that are keeping him out of the lineup even before he got hurt this year he wasn't at his usual production it happens he's been in the league he came up in 2011 it's been a league for 12 years. It happens. You know, they miss their window. But they have this, not even generational, you know. They have Otani, a once-in-a-century talent on their team that they're not going to bring back in all likelihood. They'd be foolish not to cash that in. Uh, we're going to touch quickly on the uh, Jets' big signing earlier today and more of your calls on that and Saquon Barkley uh, as we continue on 98.7 ESPN New York. Terrell Keefe. You're listening to Pat O'Keefe on 98.7 ESPN. Uh, we were just talking during the break with Joe and Harvey. Uh, the FIBA Basketball World Cup is this summer. Bing bong! Where is it? Do we know where that is? I'm not sure where the, where the competition is. R.J. Barrett uh, is going to be competing for Team Canada. This has been building for a couple of years now. Team Canada is awesome. Listen to this. Team Canada's got R.J., Shea Gilgis-Alexander, Jamal Murray, Dylan Brooks, Dwight Powell, Lou Dort, Kelly Olynyk, Corey Joseph, Nikhil Alexander-Walker, and O'Shea Brissett. That's a very formidable squad. Uh, for Team USA, Jalen Brunson and Josh Hart are on that team. Uh, they'll be guys. Do you know where that tournament is? I'm reading here. It's going to take place in the Philippines, Japan, yep, right. and Indonesia. Okay, there you go. August 25th to September 10th. All right, so R.J. Brunson and Hart, so three of the top, what, six guys on the Knicks, they'll be in shape when they report to training camp in late September. So Knicks fans, there's a few reasons to watch the FIBA World Cup. Let's go back to the phones. Let's go to Dan in Jersey. What's up, Dan? How you doing, buddy? I'm good. How are you? I'm doing great. I'm doing great. Happy to be a Giants fan this year, man, you know? It's been a long time since uh, a lot of sad seasons, man, but we're finally showing up, and I'm really happy, really happy. It's exciting. It sure is, and, and well-deserved, too, because Giants fans have been through a lot. They have been a lot. They have. I was talking to my friend about this, too. I think Jones, last year, was a top-ten quarterback in the league. He was saying, oh, he's a classic Jets fan. He was saying, oh, he only scored 16 touchdowns, but he also ran 7-2. He's a good player. He's a good player. 
Yeah, Jones went, and and I had a lot of arguments on the station with listeners when I said that Joe, I didn't put him in the top 10. I put him ahead of Dak Prescott last year. And I had a lot of arguments about that specifically, but yeah, saying he's in the top 10 or on the cusp of the top 10 is not crazy. And last year Jones went from being a real nice story at the beginning of the season to, like you said, Dan, being a good quarterback by the end. And he's, and he was paid for it. Exactly. Exactly. And about the Saquon Barkley thing, I think he is like a top three running back in the league, but he wants too much, too much money. If he wants to be a captain of this team, he should lower his cut because you know what? We, we can win the NFC. There's not a lot of big talent there. It's not like the AFC. We beat the Vikings. I think the Vikings were the fraud. We beat them. And what they have to worry about is and, and the Cowboys. Well, that, look, the NFC East, Dan, thanks for the call, is, is tough. The Giants can't win the NFC. They're probably a long shot to win the NFC East anyway. doesn't mean they can't get into the playoffs and make a little bit of noise. The Barkley being the captain of the team, that's separate from what's going on here. All right? This is, this is his livelihood. This is his last chance to, you know, he's trained and prepared and worked his rear end off his entire life for this payday. And for reasons that are out of his control – the economics of the sport having changed. He's done everything to put himself in position to cash in. And he's entitled to do that to the best of his abil- uh, the best of his ability. Okay? But for reasons beyond his control, the financial structure of the sport has changed since the time he started this journey to right now. And unfortunately, he's now up at the teller's window and there's not as much money in his account as he thought. So he is absolutely entitled to – that's why there's deadlines, right? They haven't gone past the deadline yet. The deadline is Monday at 4 p.m. And between now and then, he is within all of his rights to do whatever posturing and whatever negotiating and whatever else his side can do to maximize what he's going to get from the Giants. And so that's independent of him being a captain. This is not him not being a leader. All right, once Barkley is signed up, and hopefully it happens, and he's in training camp, and he's the captain of this team, nothing that went on this offseason is going to impact that part of it. But, yeah, the caller's point that the Giants do have a lot to be excited about, yeah, this is the last piece of that puzzle. But there's also the caution, and this has been said, but there's also the caution that the Giants could be quote-unquote better but take a step or a half a step back in the standings this year just by nature of the other teams in the NFC. Now, the NFC is not that strong. The Jets were in a somewhat similar situation, but for the Jets, it was easier. They locked up Quinn and Williams, four years, $96 million, $66 million guaranteed. It's the uh, largest guaranteed deal in franchise history, and, and just based on the average annual value of the deal, which that's not what you base it on. But if you want to look at the total, $96 million over four years, it does make him, according to that, the highest paid defensive tackle in the NFL. The number to look at is the $66 million guaranteed, and that's what the two sides were haggling over. Now, this is interesting because yesterday it was announced that the Jets are going to be the subjects of hard knocks this season for the second time they were – the subjects of it in 2010. It was, in my opinion, the best ever hard knocks there was. Part of that is, you know, 
geographical bias on my part. I was more interested in the Jets than teams throughout the NFL, living here in New York, knowing the teams, knowing the characters that were in the show. But that being said, from Rex Ryan to uh, Antonio Cromartie uh, and the rest of the guys on that team, it was great. That was a very colorful bunch of veterans that were confident and funny and good, and I found it uh, interesting, and I'm looking forward to them being on it again this summer. Uh, Mike Tannenbaum... ESPN's Mike Tannenbaum was the general manager of that Jets team, and he was on Get Up. This is before it was officially announced, but we knew it was headed in that direction. Mike Tannenbaum, who was one of the stars of that Get uh, that Hard Knocks in 2010, spoke about his experience on the show. In 2009, NFL Films came to us, and I said no. I didn't want to do it. It was Rex Ryan's first year. We drafted Mark Sanchez. And I spoke to Ozzie Newsom, the long-term, very successful general manager of the Baltimore Ravens. And he told me that based on their experience, he would recommend it that actually players competed even harder at practice because they knew the eyes of the world were on them. So we said no in year one. And in year two, we you know went out and did it. And you know, despite having a very quiet and reserved head coach here in Rex Ryan, <laughs> it actually went pretty well. The Jets that year went 11-5. and They went back to the AFC Championship game for the second year in a row. In the playoffs, they beat Peyton Manning on the road in Indianapolis. They beat Tom Brady on the road at New England. That was the can't-wait game. Then they went to the AFC Championship game, and they lost by a point to the Steelers after falling behind big early. That was a veteran team, okay? Veterans like, uh, except for the quarterback in Sanchez. But, you know, you had Ladanian Tomlinson and Sean White and... Uh, Jason Taylor, Bart Scott, um, Antonio Cromartie. I think Braylon Edwards was on that team. That was a veteran team. This is not. You have a veteran quarterback. This is kind of the opposite, right? You have a lot of young talent throughout the roster. You have a veteran quarterback who you're not worried about. And that's really, let's be honest, that's the reason the Jets are on hard docks. It's one guy. Once they got Aaron Rodgers, they became the apple of HBO's eye. Because the Bears were one of the other teams that were eligible. They fit all the criteria to be selected. And the Bears, I thought, would have been an interesting story. They have an African-American general manager. They have Justin Fields, who's now going into his third season, who is could be one of the breakout stars um, in the NFL this year. But he's not Aaron Rodgers. And that's the storyline HBO wants. Outside of Rodgers, though, it's a very young team. So there are some people with some concerns, like ESPN's Bill Barnwell. He expressed those on Get Up. My one concern here is that the offense is going to be a work in progress early in the season. It's mm-hmm. a new quarterback getting used to a new play caller. And Nathaniel Hackett, who wasn't his play caller in Green Bay, new receivers. And Aaron Rodgers' reputation not going to lie, not exactly the, the fondest of young receivers like a Garrett Wilson. I think there's going to be some growing pains, some awkward moments. And to me, I'd rather have those happen behind closed doors than have them happen on national television when you're already in the biggest media market in all of America. Listen, I'm all about it. All right. I'm all in. I can't wait. The cameras are probably uh, on their way to meet certain individuals already. And a week from yesterday, the Jets report to training camp in Florham Park, New Jersey. The cameras will be there rolling, waiting for them. And I can't wait to consume it in the month leading up to the NFL regular season. Uh, Some final thoughts on the second half of the baseball season coming up after this on 98.7 ESPN New York. You're listening to Pat O'Keefe on 98.7 ESPN. Programming note, I'll be back Saturday morning. 9 to 12. Always love that shit. I think it's uh, 
I think it's the Dan Grasa shift now. When I used to work that a lot, it used to be the Dave Rothenberg shift, which was fun because it always included Stump Rothenberg. Usually Rothenberg would take off a lot of Saturdays in the summer, and uh, I would uh, step in, you know, Stump Rothenberg with Pat O'Keefe. It was a lot of fun. I didn't do as well as Dave, but for the most part, I didn't embarrass myself. But this time, uh, the 9 to 12 Who the hell are you? Saturday morning shift will not include uh, any trivia, which is a bummer. Uh Second half of the baseball season, stretch run of the baseball season begins tomorrow. All right, Joe, quick prediction. Um, Yankees make the playoffs? Yes. Mets make the playoffs? No. Harvey, Yankees make the playoffs? No. Mets make the playoffs? No. Red Bulls make the playoffs? Oh, man, that's a, that's the toughest one. Uh, <laughs> toughest one. I'm going to say yes, only because they allow nine teams a conference. <laughs> nine teams? Yeah. What are they, the NBA? It's like the XFL. <laughs> how many teams are there in each? How many, te- how many MLS teams are there? Oh, let me get out the calculator for this one. <laughs> Seriously? Tell me there's, there's not more MLS teams than Major League Baseball, are there? No, there's uh, right now. There's 29. A 30th is coming in in two years. Are they are they all in the United States or th- there's a Toronto team, right? There's a Toronto, Vancouver, Montreal. Okay, all right. 29 MLS teams. <laughs> yeah, man. If you got the money for the expansion fee, you put it up. <laughs> well, you were telling me what Messi's on his way, right? He's on his way. He's in Miami as we speak. Okay. He just had dinner there. So and who's tell me who's he playing for? Inter Miami. Okay. Are there are two Miami teams. Um, or just one? There's two LA teams. There's two. Well, how do I say? It? Yeah, two LA teams. There's two Florida teams, I believe. There's Got it. Miami and Orlando. Okay, so he's playing for Inter Miami. He's yep. in. He's in Miami, and we could expect to see him on the pitch in a real game for Inter Miami by next Friday. You said everyone's right? saying the 21st against Cruz Azul of Mexico. In the but more cup. more relevant to people who are listening in this area, we he's coming to Red Bull Arena, right? He's coming to Red Bull Arena August the 26th. I'll That'll be, be a hot ticket. I'll be there unless you, unless you got some money in your pockets to take my tickets. No, I'm good, man. I mean, I'll probably be working here to put some money in my pockets. So August 26th, um, Inter Miami at... Um, at the Red Bulls. And you'll be there. What are you, a season ticket holder? Yep, year six. Oh, oh nice. I didn't even know the MLS has been around for six years. <laughs> so right. funny. So funny. Yeah. <laughs> All right, so yeah, do I think – I think the Yankees get into the playoffs. I think – I don't think the Mets get into the playoffs. It's just too too high of a hill to climb. And, and again, like they, they just buried themselves too much. There's too many – you know, there's too many good teams ahead of them. Yeah, I point to the the Bra- uh, not the Braves, excuse me. I point to the Marlins and the Diamondbacks uh, and the Reds as teams that are catchable for the Mets. But that also means they got to catch, you know, some combination of the Phillies, the Dodgers, the Giants. I mean, those aren't teams that they're going to run down from behind, especially when they have to make up six or seven games. So I would like to see it that make it interesting. I'd like there to be meaningful baseball at City Field in the middle of September. Um that's a good first step, and that starts that starts tomorrow night at City Field when the Mets welcome in the Dodgers. Uh, the Yankees need to start whooping up on these teams they're supposed to. The Yankees' schedule is very soft coming out of the break with three games in Colorado, three at the uh, injured Angels, and then three back home for the Kansas City Royals. So they got to hit the ground running uh, with Carlos Rodon on the mound in Colorado tomorrow night. Joe Leo, 
Harvey Cruz, thanks a lot. A lot of callers tonight. Great job by all of you. Have a great night, everyone. What are you, 35? I'm, I'm 44. Okay, so we're 10 years apart. When you Nine. were growing up. Nine. All righty.